Well, as Kara said, good morning and welcome to Restoration at the Lake, everyone. It's so great to have you. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I am just delighted that you have chosen to worship with us today. If we, have, if we uh, had a piece of property for restoration or could find one on a lake, we might do this more often, or if we were in California, but, you know, we don't really have a choice. So we try and do this, uh, well, not we try. We've done this every year, once a year. Uh, since we started, and we love it. Uh, you received a worship folder, probably. There's a little note card in there, and uh, you might need that later. If you got a pen, you got a beloved pen, because we ran out, so you might need to share later in the service. But those are our public service announcements. Now, speaking of choices, uh, do you remember those choose-your-own-adventure books? Did anyone read those? I used to read those as a kid. You'd start this story, this book would start, the character would get into it, there'd be this plot that started in about a third or halfway through the book, all of a sudden there would be this choice. Like either the character has to do this and turn to page 87, or you want the character to do this and turn to page 112. And so then you would start the next part of the story and then there would be another choice. If you want the character to do this, go here. If you want a character to do this, go here. Inevitably, when I did this as a kid, uh, I never really liked these books because my character would always die, right? Like early. Uh, or you'd get really hurt. Uh, and so I thought about, oh, I always felt like I was doing something wrong by the choices I made in those books. But now the older I get, or at least the wiser or maybe just more experience I get, the more I realize that choice is actually one of the most powerful abilities that God gives us. And all our lives, we make choices. And especially as Americans, we have more choices than we know what to do with. And yet, sometimes the small things, what we eat or what we wear or how we think we spend our time, are actually the really big choices. And so we're going to start a series that you're invited back to in September that's just called choice, Choices, and we're going to look at five big choices that we make, consciously or unconsciously, that really set up the framework for who we are and who we become. So I want to invite you back to that, because I think it'll be really practical, helpful, and uh, should just be an amazing time. Uh, there's a story in the Bible about choices and, and really seeing and choosing Jesus, and it's in John chapter 4. I want to read it for us as we uh, hear God's word today. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing people and actually more disciples than John. And in fact, though, Jesus wasn't baptizing. It was his disciples that were doing it. But Jesus left, Gal uh, left Judea and went back again to Galilee. And so on his way from Judea to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. And he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It was near the piece of land that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Joseph's, or Jacob's well was there. And Jesus was tired from the journey, so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. There's a woman from Samaria that came to get some water. And Jesus said to her, would you give me a drink? And she looked at him because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, well, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And how can you ask me for a drink? She said this because Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, you do not know what God's gift is. And you do not know who is asking for a drink. If you did, 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, she said, you don't have anything to get this water with. This well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Our father Jacob gave us this well. He drank from it himself and so did his sons and his livestock. Are you more important than he? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But anyone who drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up in them and actually flowing to eternal life. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that your word would still speak to us. God, we pray that we wouldn't just see it as an ancient book of then, but your living word for us today and that it would lead and guide us to where we need to go. And we pray that you would have your way in our lives, that we would open them up to how you might want to speak to us today through them and that we would hear you. Amen. You know, water throughout the Bible is this powerful metaphor. It, she, it shows up in the very, very beginning where there's just water over the whole land and it's mysterious and powerful and dark. And then water comes through in Noah and the flood. It symbolizes this cleansing, renewal, and new life. When the Israelites and Moses go through the Red Sea, it symbolizes being set apart for God. And so all through the Bible, we can see these themes and yet we can also see the same thing, themes in baptism. In child baptism, we see that, uh, we see that a child being baptized symbolizes this being cleansed and set apart for God, as well as the hope of new life when that child chooses to believe and confirm their faith in Jesus when they get older. We just read in the book of John how Jesus, and actually his disciples, were baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. And people were getting upset with that. These were adults who'd come to believe and know Jesus Christ. And so in the scripture story, the early believers in Jesus would believe in Jesus and then confirm that faith, that expression of faith and commitment through baptism. Acts 2 tells us that Peter gives a message about Jesus and the people ask, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that there are people that believed in Jesus and then they brought their whole family to come to experience this faith and commitment that they had found in Christ. One of my favorites is this businesswoman She's from uh, modern day Turkey and she's living in Europe and her name is Lydia. In Acts 16, it says that one of those women listening was Lydia and the Lord opened her heart to respond to this message that we had given. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into our home. So in the story of God and, and throughout church history, there's these two baptism traditions that have developed through the years. One tradition is where parents publicly bring their children before God to dedicate them. Abraham does this with Isaac. Hannah does this with Samuel. Joseph and Mary do this with Jesus. These parents then nurture, pray, and seek support that one day their child would believe and accept Christ and be baptized themselves. And then there's another tradition, one where parents include their children in their experience of faith 
and their commitment to God by baptizing them at an early age. And then they pray, nurture and seek support so that these children would come to confirm their faith when they believe in Jesus as Savior and as Lord. See, at Restoration, we believe that both of these traditions have some value, have great spiritual value. And so rather than choose one over the other, we seek to honor these traditions and where they come from. Later in this gathering, we're going to be going down to the lake and baptizing some believers who have made this commitment to Jesus. Now, later in the fall, we'll also be celebrating child dedication. But we believe that every person needs to believe and accept Jesus for themselves and choose him as Savior and Lord. Because baptism isn't the thing that saves us, but it is this sacred and holy act that shows us a picture of God's invisible grace coming on us. And so at this time, we're going to have Christine Vilhauer from Restoration Kids Director join me and then the families of our two children being baptized this morning, Cameron Marley Geiger daughter of Molly and Mike Geiger, and godparents Jillian Sprunk and Mark Geiger. You can come on right down here. Come on down. And then uh, Jackson Craig Roggenby, son of Amy Elliott and Paul Roggenby, and godparent Matthew Will. So if you guys would make your way down. You come a little closer. No problem. There you go. You guys can come up here. Hey, you guys match. Did you guys plan that? No. Okay. That looks nice. You guys look nice, too. Not that it's about looks. But parents, by baptizing your child today, you are inviting them into your faith experience and commitment to God because they're both too young here to, to truly have a personal relationship with Jesus, but they can experience yours. And just like Jesus' baptism, I believe that God's divine presence is here today. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all at Jesus' baptism. And in this sacred moment, God is here too. And sacred moments require responses from God. So parents, here's your question. That if you agree, answer I do. Do you promise to raise your child in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to pray for your child, to teach your child the word of God, to model for your child the way of God, this life of unconditional love, service, and worship, and to engage your child in the community of the church? If so, answer, I do. All right. For those of you that consider restoration your home and for godparents, um, I want you to know that you have a purpose today as well. You are a witness to the vows that these parents just made. We are called as Jesus' community to nurture God's word in the next generation and pray with God's spirit that they come to know and love Jesus Christ. It's your job to hold these families accountable in love, to hold them up in prayer, to encourage them, and help them to follow Jesus and raise their children to do the same. So I'm going to ask you guys this question. Will you encourage and support these parents in their efforts to raise their children to uh, in the knowledge of the Lord and to be faithful to your calling as members of the body of Christ so that this child and all other children among you may grow up to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Awesome. Come on, people. (laughs) You have to talk louder because we're outside. (laughs) All right, so Cameron Marley Geiger, 
it's so nice to see you. Do I get to hold you? Maybe? Oh, I'd love to hold you. This is Cameron, and Mike and Molly have chosen uh, Proverbs 31.25 as a verse for her baptism today. And Proverbs 31 says that she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Isn't that a beautiful verse? It goes on to say that she who speaks has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. And so you can come up here to the water. So Cameron Marley Geiger, before you get fussy, I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that strength, dignity, joy, and security in you will be evident in Cameron's life. Amen. Here you go. Paul and Amy, would you come up here? Jackson, I don't know if you're going to let me hold you, are you? That's, you? You think about it. This is Jackson. He's actually a delightful young man. Jackson, uh, Amy and Paul have chosen Acts 2.38 as a verse for his baptism, which says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you think, you think I'll hold you? Yeah, Maybe. Your, your mom and dad will be right next to me. That's awesome. Thank you, Jackson. Jackson, Craig Roggenby, I baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would hear God and adjust your life like that verse says, that you would immerse yourself in who Jesus is, that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he would lead and guide your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God, we pray for both Jackson and Marley that they would come to know you in a life-changing way. God, that they would, they would seek you all their lives. They would grow into your wisdom, your truth, and your kindness. God, we pray that these parents and these godparents would be filled with wisdom to see the moments that are sacred and to talk to their children about it. To, for Jackson and Marley to come to know and love and serve you with all of their lives and their heart and their soul and their strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations to both of you. Congratulations. Um, here at Restoration, our desire is for parents to become their child's spiritual champion, but we want you to know that we're here with you the whole way um, as you teach your child how to pray and talk to them about about God. In the nursery, we're going to care for them so that they know that God made them and God loves them and Jesus wants to be their friend forever. And then um, as they reach elementary years, we um, are walking alongside you so they can learn how to read their Bible and understand God's word. Um, and then as they enter adolescent years, I always feel nervous when I say adolescent years at a baptist, baby baptism because that seems really far away, but it's not. Um, but we will help them discover their faith on their own. And so we just want you guys to know that we're here with you. We have gifts and certificates for you um, to help remember this day. And uh, to give, uh, our, we encourage you to talk about this day as they grow older. And, and Rob's going to be helpful and grab those. So thank you. Would you welcome each of these families and these children into God's family? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you guys can have a seat.
Well, did you hear what was vital in child baptism? It wasn't the water. It's important, but it's really not that important. Uh, the woman at the well that Jesus talked to, even he said that this water that you, you get, you'll just be thirsty again. But the water I give, that will cause you to never thirst. So it's not the water that's vital. It's very important in child baptism, as well as the parents and the godparents, to include that child in their faith experience, this commitment to the Lord. Because baptism is sacred, but it doesn't magically save someone. So even the commitment is important. I would say very important, but not most important. See, I think what's most important is that personal encounter with Jesus. I mean, I think I love the symbolism of being outside and I love that God brought sunshine or partly sunny. But I, there are times in, I'm, in my life where I'm still like that woman, where I'm still thirsty, where I still want more, where the faith experience I have is, is good, but I, I know, I know it's not enough. And if you've ever been there, then you're not alone. This woman that we see in this story has this faith experience, but she doesn't have this encounter with Jesus. She doesn't have this personal relationship with Jesus. She really doesn't know who he is. And that's when Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and you knew it, who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just want to take a look for a few minutes at this verse and at what the invitation is. Because I think that God's word still speaks to us today. And he invites each of us to this personal encounter with him that absolutely transforms our life. He says, if you really knew who I am, and it makes me wonder if we know him. Because I think many of us have a faith experience. We might practice it consistently. We might see it as something we were raised in but don't do very often. Or we might just say we have a casual awareness of this faith experience. But, but whatever it is, we think we know the experience. And this woman has a faith experience too. This woman in the story talks, as she talks to Jesus, she talks about worshiping God. She talks about the hope of a Messiah. She has an experience of faith. She just hasn't encountered Jesus. And that's like some of us here today. We have this experience of faith, but we haven't encountered Jesus. It reminds me of this story of this guy named Cademan. Cademan is all we know his name as. He lived in England in the 16 or in the 600s, like 650. They're not sure when he was born because most of his growing up and, and adult life was spent as a farmhand at an abbey in uh, Northumbria, England. And at that time in the Whitby Abbey and Monastery, the farmhands, the people that worked in the abbey, and even, even the religious scholars and guests, they would all gather around campfires at night because they didn't have electricity, and they would entertain themselves. And so how they entertained themselves in England in Cademan's day was they passed a harp around. So imagine this small harp, and it's a campfire, and the people would pluck a tune, and then they'd have to sing a song. Could have been a song about their day, 
could have been a song about the scriptures, could have been a song about a story they'd heard from long ago, but they would pass it around and no matter what your social status or unfortunately for me, what your singing ability, you had to join in. And Cademan experienced these things. This was his faith experience and it was a little bit like heaven and hell. Heaven because he actually loved to listen, especially to the monks tell of the scriptures but hell as it turned the corner and the harp got closer and closer to him because whenever it came to him, he didn't have a song and he didn't have a story. He would often just run out of the room because he'd never had that encounter with Jesus. This woman meets Jesus and when she sees him, what does she think of him? I think she looks at him and she's like, who are you? You're, you're, you're a Jew and you're a man and you're asking me for a drink. She just sees this man as an obstacle in her way, an inconvenience, if you will. And I think some of us see Jesus as an inconvenience. I, I've even had conversations with people that say, you know, I just, I just want to believe in God. I, I think so much of the world believes in God and there's so many other religions that believe in God. And if we could just believe in God, it would be okay. Why do we have to talk about Jesus? Well, actually, because Jesus talks about Jesus. He brings it back. If you knew who I am, and if you knew this gift of God, you know, what is that gift? Jesus isn't trying to be mysterious. He actually wants to meet her. But I think as we stare longer and longer at Jesus, he moves from mystery or from inconvenience to mystery. We get a little confused by Jesus. He says stuff that doesn't make sense to us. And I used to think that it was just this woman who didn't understand who Jesus was. And I obviously know the story, so I know who he is. But then I realized, wait a second. God's word speaks to us all through all time. So if this woman is having trouble recognizing who Jesus is, that's telling something to me. That tells me that I have trouble recognizing who Jesus is. That my faith experience isn't enough, that I can't count on it, that I need help in actually seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Maybe you've been in that experience where your faith experience you think is enough, but it's, it's really not. And if you think Jesus is kind of normal or polite or tame, then you have not met the real Jesus. He is not just polite or tame. He's a little powerful and a little crazy and, and full of mystery and way more than a metaphor of water. No, I think that he says, the water that I give wells up into eternal life. This living water is this life that Jesus is the one who cleanses and renews and his holy sacrifice takes away everything that we've done in the past that keeps us from knowing God and being close to God. That's the invitation if we've actually encountered this Messiah. Jesus says to this woman, and I think he says to us, you know, you can't get the water yourself. But I can give it to you. 
And if I do give it to you, it's a water that will satisfy over and over and over. You'll never be thirsty again. It's greater than any source you know, but it requires us to admit the other sources of our life that we think sustain us. It requires us to let go of the things that we think give us value. Some of us are here and we cling to performance. We believe that if we could just be perfect, if people could just see how good we're doing, that that would give us value and that would give us life. And Jesus says, no, let go of that. Some of us cling to management or control. We try to manage our sin or manage other people and we think that that will give us value. And Jesus says, no, let go of that. Some of us cling to image and we think if I just wear the right stuff or look a certain way or have a certain weight, then that will give me value. And Jesus says, no. See, in this story, when this woman meets Jesus as Messiah, she gives up her sin and she lays down her secrets. In the story, as it continues, it says she left her water jar. The whole reason she went to the well was to get the water. She leaves it because she has no need for this water because of Jesus. It's not just a metaphor. It's an invitation to a greater reality. She comes to her hometown and she says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Well, she has quite a reputation. But in that moment, her past is far behind her. No pun intended. She leaves it. Jesus has redefined who she is. He forgives all of our sin when we lay down everything that keeps us from him. And the old is gone and the new has come. And in just a moment, we're going to have people that want to share how God has worked in their life before they're baptized, come up and share just a bit of what God has done in their life. It's an invitation, not just for God. It's an invitation for each of us to say, yes, that's the life I want. That's the forgiveness I need. That's the thirst I have. But we've got to realize where we're at with Jesus. It was kind of like this guy, Cademan, that I just talked about. Every night, as that harp would go around, he would get this pit in his stomach and he'd run out. Sometimes he'd get stuck with the harp and, and leave with shame. But one night he ran out before the harp had gotten to him and he collapsed in the cow barn because that's the people or the animals that he spent the most time with. Except on that particular night... A man appeared to him in a dream. A man appeared to him just like Jesus appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. And the man gently said to him, Cademan, did you sing me a song? And Cademan looked at the man and he said, I have no song in my heart. And the man just gently said, then sing about the beginning, the beginning and the created things. And Cademan awoke that morning with a tune in his head and a song in his heart, and he couldn't help but sing. And he couldn't read and write. The only people that could were the rich and the very religious. But so he just started singing. 
He went to the cows and he did his work and he was singing. The fellow farmhands heard him. They talked to his superior. His superior talked to his superior and ended up talking to the head of the whole abbey. She immediately said, this man needs to become a monk. We got to get him trained. There is something that we can't explain in his life. Cademan started writing. Cademan produced poems and songs that have endured to this day. Just listen to the words and listen to the focus on this personal encounter with Jesus. He wrote, teach us again, the greatest story ever. The one who made the worlds and became a helpless little child. Then grew to be a carpenter with deep, far-seeing eyes. In time, the carpenter began to travel through every village, challenging the people to leave behind their selfish ways, to be washed in the living water, to let God be their king. I have a dream that all the world will meet you and know you, Jesus that your living power will someday soon all people everywhere that will help them to hear their story and hear it in a way they understand. So many who have heard forget to tell the story. Here I am, my Jesus. Teach me. Cademan not only became an inspirational monk and an accomplished Christian poet, but he actually became the first known writer of the English language. I would dare to say that not only England was transformed by him, but the entire world was transformed by him because Cademan had a personal encounter with Jesus. What do you need to lay down that gets in your way of personally encountering Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this story of Cademan, but even more the story of your word and the story of how, Jesus, you work in our lives, that you meet us where we least expect it, where you call us to the truth, and you invite us to lay down those things that we think will give us value. God, you, you know, in my life, I pick up far too many water jars that I worry far too much about my reputation, but I thank you that you continue to come to me and you continue to invite me to lay down the things that I think will give me value for the one who will give me true worth, for the one that will quench a thirst to be known and loved and seen in a way that, that only you can. And God, I pray that, that I'm not the only one, that there are people here who have a faith experience but need an encounter with you, they need their lives changed by you. They're thirsty. They're thirsty for something more. But God, you need to be the one who gives them the water, the water of life, the living relationship with you, the forgiveness that we so need. I thank you that your death and resurrection is enough, that when we step into the light and we lay down our stuff, that you forgive us. I pray that we would be made new today, that the old would be gone and the new would come and that we'd be washed in a way that we've never been before.